This is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to worship at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. We're so glad you've found your way to us on Facebook Live or Instagram Live or even on our website or our podcast. Thank you for gathering with us in spirit and in person, the few of you all who are here with me in the sanctuary. Uh, we give thanks, as always, for our worship leadership uh, from Fred Spano and Gay Pappen, Ivy Cherry, and today singing with us is Joanne Cole and our very good friend, daughter of Bob and Joanne Cole, Scott Byron. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Just a few announcements before we begin with worship. Please know that we're grateful and we continue to give thanks for your commitment to financial stewardship during this season of COVID-19, but also in the general life of our congregation. Um, you may text your gifts of tithes and offerings to 704-734-9818. Those gifts go to support the mission of our congregation and the well-being of our church. Uh, if you are a high schooler at Selwyn Avenue, we remind you that there is a youth dinner on the lawn tomorrow night at 7 o'clock where you will bring your own meal and socially distance uh, out front. We hope you'll join us. If you are a member of Selwyn, which I know many of you are, next Sunday you need to mark your calendar for 5 to 6 o'clock at night for an all Selwyn church trivia extravaganza. It's easy, it's fun, I usually lose, so you don't have to worry about that, and we expect to see you there. You can sign up on Zoom or uh, find information on our church website. And now let us prepare our hearts to worship God. Will you please join me in our call to worship this morning? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For God's steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say God's steadfast love endures forever. When we stand at the edge of fear and worry, God invites us to step into the waters of faith and trust. 
God's steadfast love endures forever. When we stand at the edge of the world's pain and need, Jesus invites us to step into the land of humble service. God's steadfast love endures forever. When we stand at the edge of our hunger and thirst, the Spirit invites us to sit at the table of grace. Let us give thanks to the Lord, for God's steadfast love endures forever. merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He's close to all who call on him in truth, listening to their cries for help and offering them salvation. Trusting in God's unfailing love, let us bring our confessions to God, knowing that our prayers will be heard. Will you please join me in our confession? We confess that at times, O oh God, we have kept silent, even as we have seen the bodies, the spirits, and the minds of your children waste away. We have received manna from heaven, and yet have hoarded and kept it for ourselves, while others die of hunger, of hunger physically and spiritually. Lord, have mercy. We confess, O oh God, we have looked with self-righteous judgment upon those who have strayed away from you and those who have not come to you. We have convinced ourselves of our own righteousness and have forsaken the call of Christ to love our neighbors as ourselves. Christ, have mercy. We confess, O oh Holy One, we have longed for you to regard our prayers heal our diseases and our land, and love us more than others. 
We know that you have called us to care for the widows and orphans, to love the strangers and our neighbors, yet at times we try to hoard your love, O oh God, as the Israelites tried to hoard manna in the wilderness. Lord, have mercy. O oh God, we know that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation and have called us to be ambassadors for Christ. Yet we have often examined the sin in others and not embraced them in your love. Instruct us and teach us the way to go in your love. Show us how to regard others, not from the limits of a human point of view, but to see them through the eyes of the love divine. Amen. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us now together affirm our faith in one voice, reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into heaven. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture today is known to be a story reflecting the editor's attempts over centuries to provide the Israelites with a usable and succinct history. While the narrative today reveals deep and difficult truths about God and humanity, scholars do not suggest that this story will have historical accuracy. We are in the midst of our summer series of the greatest story ever told. And this particular story, which we are about to tell, is a story of a sovereign, compassionate, loving God who promises to see us through come hell or high water to the other side, to the land of rest, to the land of unity and nourishment and safety, to the land of milk and honey. And so the Israelites walked through the desert for more than a generation with no gathering place for worship, there was no temple for the Ark of the Covenant. There were no rituals of belonging. There was no Passover celebration, no lamb, no wine, no dancing, no celebrations. And then one morning as the first rays of light bounced off the ripples of the flowing Jordan River, they looked around at the bountiful crops all around them, and then they looked up to the sky and they realized manna would no longer be falling from the sky. Upon Moses' death, you see a new courageous leader was anointed. And as the story goes, Joshua had his eyes on Jericho, the walled city on the other side. But before God stops the waters of the Jordan River from flowing, before Joshua commands the procession of the ark and every Israelite across the dry riverbed, 
Before the twelve priests and the twelve tribes retrieved the twelve stones in order that they might remind their children what it means to be saved by God. Before God stood in front of Joshua as a divine warrior. Before the walls come tumbling down. Joshua sent a couple of spies into the city to check things out. And so now you are invited to listen to one of the greatest stories ever told found in the second chapter of Joshua. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then Joshua sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know, I, I, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that you dread of and that you dread of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven, above and all of, above on all the earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our lives for yours? If you do not tell the business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided within the wall itself. She said to them, Go towards the hill country so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourself there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to you. If we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down, and you do not gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your family, 
If any of you go out of the doors of your house into the street, they shall be responsible for their own death, and we shall be innocent. But if a hand is laid upon any who are with you in the house, we shall bear the responsibility for their death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath that you made us swear to you. She said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away and they departed. Then she tied the crimson cord in the window. They departed and went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers had searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men came down again from the hill country. They crossed over. They came to Joshua and told him all that had happened. They said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before us. After the Israelites had crossed the Jordan, Joshua instructed the Israelites according to the Lord's command. Warriors marched around the city one time a day for six days with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, they encircled the city seven times, and on the last lap, they blew the trumpets, and the Israelites were instructed to shout as loudly as possible, thus causing the walls of the city to crumble as they charged ahead. And Joshua said to the two spies, Go into the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of it and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So they brought Rahab out along with her father and mother and brothers and all her kindred and they set them outside the camp of Israel. They burned down the city and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and all the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Joshua spared Rahab. Her family has lived in Israel ever since, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks to God. Thanks be to God. Whew. I don't know about you, but when I was attending vacation Bible school at First United Methodist Church in Salem, Virginia, I remember Moses dying. I remember God halting the streams of the Jordan. And I even remember the ram's horns and the shouts that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. And while the walls did come tumbling down for the life of me, I do not remember Miss Julia or Miss Tate or even Miss Tricia ever mentioning a savvy sex worker named Rahab. Too much violence, too much lying, too much deceit too much hiding, and obviously, way too much to explain. <laughs> Lynn manuel would tell us, just like Eliza Hamilton, we've written her out of the narrative. After all, Jesus is a descendant of Rahab. It says so in his genealogy at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. But we still can't seem to work her into the song or the puppet line up. Of course, we shouldn't blame our dismissal of Rahab, on Rahab, after all, Joshua was the one who felt the need to spy. The spies were the ones who were obviously terrible at spying. It is likely Rahab's family was up against oppression, poverty, debt, and a steep hierarchy of gender and class, which is true for those who 
work, or who are trafficked today. And no matter what the explanation is, wiping out an entire city of indigenous men, women, and children in the name of God is nothing short of genocide. So many stories of blessing and liberation in human history are inextricably tied to stories of destruction and conquest in the name of God. And I wonder why we humans assume that blessing must come at the expense of other people. But man, we love a good competition. A good fight always needs a winner and a loser. Search for a job, try out for a team, apply to a school, use an online dating app, yearn to be invited into a group or a club. Our systems and institutions are built on achievement and hierarchies and connections and rewards and penalties and perfectionism and money and power. But are our imagination so narrow that we cannot seem to navigate a life of abundance and blessing unless we exploit or decimate someone else. In second grade, I was a pilgrim and my friend was an Indian in the Thanksgiving play about the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. In fifth grade, I visited the tobacco farm in Virginia where Booker T. Washington was enslaved as a boy. They told me the owners of the plantation were good people and those who were enslaved enjoyed the work. In 11th grade, friends and I were told that another friend's parents had died of unknown causes, which we later learned was a murder-suicide. Eventually, he took his own life, too. Things may look better on the outside of the walls, but only if you are not the one suffering on the inside. I love to say this is a modern phenomenon, it's not for the, if not for the book of Joshua. You see, for Israel, it looks pretty good on the outside of the walls of Jericho. For Israel, we see a story of patience and faithfulness and courage and tenacity and obedience and strength, of power and blessing. But God promised them all the land, and they started with Jericho, the walled city. And you see, the problem with walls around Jericho is the same problem with all walls, really. I mean, sometimes walls are often meant to protect the bad stuff from getting in or getting out, depending on your perspective. Masks and plexiglass walls. But most of the time, walls are meant to separate, you see. We separate us from them, in from out, Biden from Trump, or Trump from Biden, depending on your perspective. Israel from Palestine, or is it the other way around? Good from bad or bad from good, clean from dirty, rich from poor. For white people, we do this when we try to talk about racism. We say, um, I'm not racist because if I'm racist, then I'm bad. And I'm not racist, so I must be good. And that makes sense to us. So of course we keep our mouth shut and we say, well, I'm a good person, so I can't be biased or racist. And this is called the good-bad binary. And how are we even supposed to talk about it if we start from there? Are we all bad? No, of course not. Do we need to reframe the dualistic way we approach the conversation? Probably yes. Because most of the time, and this is not only true for our walls, but all walls, walls are erected to protect resources, to keep power in, and to maintain access. The walls that we see 
Brick walls, stone walls, barriers, boundaries, fences, gates, and then of course the walls we don't see. There are the emotional walls to protect our feelings, the spiritual walls to protect ourselves from having to fully trust God, the mental walls we maintain to focus or to stay in control. And then of course there are all the invisible codes, tax codes, zip codes, legal codes, financial codes, secret codes. And then there are the clubs, veiled in morality or religiousness. And then there are groups, huddled together by an ideology or a social class of some sort. And so it's no wonder that Joshua needed spies to explore all the invisible barriers that he could not actually see. And while inexcusable, it may explain the notion of the plan to exterminate all the humans and spoils from within the city in an effort to avoid coveting all the stuff of palaces and wealth on the inside. Remember that Joshua was leading a ragtag collection of previously enslaved homeless tribes who somehow managed to cross every impossible barrier and boundary known to mankind. Only now, as we peek inside, Joshua could never have expected God's covenant of blessing would hinge on a woman whose name in Hebrew means spacious or broad or wide open. Yes, you can snicker. But Rahab will get the last laugh. Because if Rahab knew anything, she knew how to maneuver within the shadows and the edges of the walls. Rahab and many women throughout history are often trapped within the walls of an economic system that offers them neither protection nor opportunities to earn. They find themselves on the edges of life with no way out, no windows, no red cords, no choice. But rest assured, Rahab was no victim. Rahab, like most women in scripture, she was a survivor. You see, outside the walls, Joshua was walking around in broad daylight on holy ground, commanding warriors to cross the river by God's creative providence. And Rahab was navigating life on the inside within the system by harnessing power in subversive and invisible and quiet ways. She was always one step ahead and she fully understood her circumstances, which is the first and most important step in moving toward a more hopeful future for all of us. That is exactly what Joshua was trying to do when he sent the spies in the first place. He needed a full assessment of the situation. Gloria Anzaldua's poem references this reality. It's in regard to her life on the border between Mexico and America in the 70s. It goes like this. Nobody's going to save you. No one's going to cut you down, cut the thorns around you. No one's going to storm the castle walls, nor kiss awake your birth, climb down your hair, nor mount you onto a white steed. There is no one who will feed the yearning. Face it, you will have to do it. Do it yourself. You see, Rahab, she was resourceful and shrewd and intelligent. Even the king knew her. Yet living on the edges of society allowed her the ability to move between the spaces in and out of relationships without anyone really noticing. Relentless in the protection of her family, she took risks, but they were strategic. 
Rahab was a border dweller. And Zualda would write, borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe, to distinguish us from them. A border is a dividing line, a narrow strip among a steep edge. A borderland is vague and undetermined. It's created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. It is in a constant state of transition. The prohibited and forbidden are its inhabitants. Well, Rahab literally lived inside the wall. The door of her home opened into a city of oppression and godlessness. But the window, you see the window on the other side, on the outer wall, opened towards a spacious land beyond the walls of Jericho. Rahab occupied a life in between. It was a liminal space where choices are made to either endure the status quo or simply go for it. And while we've all been there before, it's an unsettling place to be. And while most of us can't stand to stay there for too long, Rahab had lived her entire life in that in-between place. Rahab, she could see what was coming. In the morning, as the dew was settling on her roof, she lay flax sheaves, and Rahab gazed beyond the trappings of the city walls. And then hours later, unable to shake the rumors she'd heard from her powerful clients the night before, she caught glimpses of the setting sun through the window of her modest home inside the wall. She heard them say they had escaped from Egypt and that the Red Sea had parted and that they had survived for more than a generation in the wilderness. And now they had conquered two kings, all in the name of a God who promises blessings of grace and love for all? Well, why wouldn't she have lied to the king? To the king, she says, I don't know who they are and I don't know where they're going. But she knew plenty. And maybe she was confessing her loyalty to Yahweh, or maybe she was simply securing her way out. But according to Rahab, she hid the spies out of kindness. And not just any sort of kindness, but loving kindness. In Hebrew, the word is hesed. It's used throughout the Old Testament to describe the way God acts towards humanity. Hesed denotes the faithfulness expected in a covenant relationship. The type of faithfulness God showed to Israel. And we all know this kind of love is not sentimental or weak. It is intelligent. Martin Luther King once said, In love, there is all the force of resistance, all the force for change that violence and hatred only pretend to promise. And perhaps Rahab knew more about the God of Israel than we even give her credit for because she also knew that salvation for those who are forced to live with their backs against the wall require a faithfulness a promise, a policy, even legal protection. And so Rahab, living in the wall, risked all she had for the chance at a life of real freedom. And the spies, they had enough integrity to advocate for Rahab according to their promise. Perhaps we were all wrong about Rahab. There is, after all, another way to translate the word Rahab. As writer Laura Truman reminds us, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus, 
and first made the promise to the Israelites that they would be guided out of slavery and offered new land. God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land of milk and honey. Good and spacious land. You see, the original promise to the Israelites was a land that was good and broad. In Hebrew, the word is Rahav. It's the exact same word as Rahab. Rahab says to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land. So she hangs a red cord in that same window in the wall. It's a Passover of sorts until they come for her. And as she and her family stand on the banks of the Jordan, I suspect Rahab was nothing if not exhausted, relieved, and grateful as they watched the oppressive walls come tumbling down. What good news. Rahab, mother to Boaz, ancestor to the one who came to tear down every wall and every barrier between us and the everlasting God of steadfast love. Amen. Our prayers today are adapted by those written for today by our friend and editor of Presbyterian Outlook, Jill Duffield. Would you play with, pray with me, please? Lord God, as we, your people, navigate deep seas, shaky circumstances, walls that seem insurmountable, and our own discord and doubts, help us to see you through our fatigue and fears. We confess that you are truly the Lord of all, Savior of the world, the one who tears down barriers, lifts us up, stills the storm, makes a way when there is none, and reaches out your hand to keep us from being crushed by the weight of the world. We rest for a moment in the joy of your presence, no longer afraid, free from anxiety, assured that you do not leave us alone, but seek us out when we are most in need of your peace. We know, Lord of all, that none of our thoughts and hopes, our doubts or worries are off limits to your care and compassion. We know you, our teacher and our friend. You welcome us as we are and hear whatever is on our hearts and minds. We ask you to hear our prayers for those in our midst most battered by life's storms, tumbling walls, and the quakes and explosions of our time. Grab the hands of those about to be crushed under the weight of poverty or financial crisis. We ask for your intervention on behalf of families unable to provide basic necessities for their children, our siblings wrestling with food insecurity, those on the cusp of eviction, and the unemployed facing the end of benefits. As we see those being sieged by the invasion of this pandemic, Move us to act in ways that lift others out of the falling stones. Reach out and give courage and strength to people in leadership positions. Grant them wisdom to make decisions in the best interests of the most vulnerable. Inspire communities to use their power and resources, their will and gifts to support people on the margins, those for whom this difficult season has been catastrophic. 
We pray for teachers, administrators, parents, and students as they all seek to navigate a new school year rife with uncertainty and unprecedented challenges. We are mindful of essential workers who are facing the danger of this public health crisis every day. Protect and sustain them, Lord. We lift up the sick and all those who suffer. Give them hope, bring relief, surround them with your mercy. Quiet the loud horns of discord and division and stir up the breath of the Holy Spirit to heal and unite us. Help us to build up the body strengthen our witness and reveal to the world that we follow the one who commands us to love one another. May others look at your church and see your hands and feet at work in the world, feeding and tending, forgiving and repairing, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. In this moment, Lord God, we rest in your presence certain that you are our savior and the savior of the world, able to do abundantly more than we can ever hope or imagine, never far from us, always reaching out your hand to us. We worship and praise you as we pray the prayer you taught us saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God gives us that which is good, the gift of community, the gift of creation, the gift of new life in Christ. And we can in no way repay God for all of God's goodness toward us, but we can respond with gratitude, giving joyfully a portion of what God entrusts to our care. In thanksgiving, let us worship God with our tithes and offerings. Our text to give number is 704-734-9818. Feel your 
Please join me as we dedicate our gifts. Holy God, may we go now in the freedom of the gospel of Christ, encouraging one another to lead lives worthy of you as we walk together in service and humility. We pray our words and lives are one in Christ. Open the way before us as we step toward the promise of your reign. We bring our commitments of time, talent, and treasure as offerings of our faith and trust in you as we go in peace to love and serve. Amen. Thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. 
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding and crumbles every wall, may it dwell in your hearts and your minds until we gather again together. Go in the name of Christ, serving him with joy and love. Amen.